whenever I meet a client, it's kind of one of the first things I say to them. It's like, you need to remember, no one cares. You're that annoying thing before they watch a YouTube video. And we've built models to avoid it. Netflix, subscription, Spotify, it's all there to avoid advertising. So my method of making good advertising is keep it simple, keep it funny, keep it short. Hi, this is Dan Rao, founder and brand strategist at DSR Branding. And you're listening to DSR Branding Presents. Join me as I interview brilliant business leaders on branding, marketing, design, and good business principles. These are people who think differently and have commercialized their creativity to do something remarkable. Today, I speak to creative director Keith Byrne on how to make advertising that's not just creative, but actually really effective. Keith's worked at some of the most famous agencies around the world, including Digitas, RGA, Ogilvy, and Rothko, with some of the biggest brands such as Disney, Honda, HSBC, and Mercedes-Benz. In a world where people are tired of being sold to and view advertising as an annoying interruption, Keith explains what marketers can do to stand out. He shares how the industry's changed over the years and what brands should be doing during a recession. I had a great time chatting with Keith about some of our favorite big ads and hearing case studies of brilliant campaigns that delivered real results. I hope you enjoy this episode. Keith, thanks very much for coming on, man. Cool. Thank you for having me. Mate, we always kick things off the same way, just with a simple icebreaker. So, what's your favorite brand and why? What's my favorite brand and why? In terms of like advertising, I still think it's brands like Nike, um, mainly because they just, you know, they're a brilliant business, but they always just do it well. They keep it simple. They tell great emotional stories. They have values and morals that they stand for. And they push innovation as well. They're always innovating their products, their shoes, their clothing. Like they've just brought out a new football for the Premier League. And it's amazing. Like, and, um, you know, I, I just think they, they are masters of marketing. They're masters of advertising. So, and they, they always seem to be part of culture, Nike does. And they just sell footwear. You know, so if you think about it, it's shoes. It's not that exciting, but they've made it <laughs> exciting. Like that is advertising. It's all about perception. And they've got, they do back up that perception with, you know, with innovation and, you know, walk the talk, so to speak. Yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, I did see that. I did see the new football. And I mean, only recently they brought out the running shoe with the marathon and tried to push, you know, the world record on the sub, was it the sub two hour marathon? Yeah. 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 I just find Nike amazing. Like one of my, one of my favorite things they've ever done is fuel band, you know, and I know it's from years ago, but when they did fuel band, it was, in my mind, it was revolutionary because they did that in partnership with an advertising agency called RGA. It was at that moment where it was like, for me, as someone who works in advertising, it was like, wow, advertising is not just about films and posters. It's about technology and building things. And when RGA and Nike built Fuel Band, it was like, wow, this was a product and a loyalty program that they built. And it was just, it transformed the business. It wasn't just an ad. That's another example of why I love Nike. Um, and, you know, it really shows the power of advertising. I don't recall the Fuel Band, but can you give me a bit of background on what it was? So Fuel Band was, you know, you wear it on your wrist. It tracks your exercising, you know, it tracks your movement. Oh, and it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now we're going back like 10 years and now, and the technology has now totally moved on. All that technology is now on your, you know, your Apple watch and it's so much better now. 
but in at that point it was like wow this is this is amazing because not not only were they kind of you know doing ads they were like look this is a this is a tool a digital tool that encourages you to exercise and you know tracks your performance tracks your results and you can you know you can wear this wristband and you can connect it to a website and you can see how you're going and it was just like wow it was just i thought at the time it was really revolutionary yeah, um, for sure yeah that's cool i did some research as you explaining that and there's a headline the rise and the fall of the wearable that started it all yeah. so yeah i mean pretty revolutionary and, what, and it was it was like um nike kicked off like it almost kicked off the wearable category you know and i think everyone like apple and everyone else were kind of doing similar things at the time but um i think they were first you know they saw the potential and they kind yeah. of went there and it took them over three years to develop this product and I think that's another testament to them as a brand, you know, long-term vision. We don't yeah. know what we're doing. <laughs> we're playing in a technology space that, you know, we do trainers, we do sports, we're, we're building a piece of tech. But they were like, yeah, yeah, let's give it a shot. And they were very successful when they did it. So, you know, that's the spirit of a true entrepreneur, of, um, yeah. of a truly pioneering brand. That's a great example. Yeah, that's cool. So, Keith, mate, what's either been the biggest highlight or the greatest challenge over the last 12 months for you? Um, 2019 was super busy for me. I did like, I did a big campaign for visa in Sri Lanka, you know, after the Easter Sunday bombings, the tourism industry really dropped. So I, I worked with visa. I did a big tourism campaign, visa, the credit card brand. Yep. We did yep. a big sort of t a tourism campaign. We flew down there. We interviewed a whole bunch of people. Um, and we just told these little stories about business owners who'd been affected by the Easter Sunday bombings, you know, tourism was down 80%, the country's um, really suffering. And then we just, we, we put these films out across mainly social media and we built a really simple, fast, quick campaign around it and it helped to boost tourism. That, that to me was like a fantastic campaign to work on. Um, yeah, that's cool. Because it was, you know, it's it had a really good purpose to it. You know, it wasn't making someone buy a toilet roll or fabric softener, which, which <laughs> I do and I do really well, you know, yeah, don't, don't yeah. get me wrong. But that was um, that was a really fantastic campaign. Probably the best one I did last year. What else did I do? Um, I think the most challenging has really just been obviously COVID. Yeah. You know, we in Singapore, everything kind of went on hold for a couple of months in terms of the advertising industry. We're still very busy, but you just you know people were kind of treading water, um, getting campaigns ready for when COVID lifts or if it lifts and so forth. And we're starting to get busy now, but I think COVID's been the biggest challenge um, yeah. for everyone. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt, how did you get into advertising? I kind of, I wouldn't say I fell into it, but <laughs> it was, because uh, I, I don't know, like I, I remember growing up and always liking ads, like funny ads or Nike ads or Coca-Cola ads and stuff like that. And I remember, I, I remember them always, you know, you know, I like comedy and a, a good comedic ad works. It cuts through. But um, I went to high school, you know, went and did art at high school. Wasn't particularly great at it, but did it, did it, finished it. And then I got an all right score and went to university and decided to study psychology because I'm interested, uh, you know, I'm interested in people and how they think and human behavior. So I went and studied psychology and I got about six months into psychology and I really hated it. It was kind of, the, it was these big lectures of five, you know, 500 people in a room 
And it was really impersonal. I wanted to study psychology to understand people better, but yet the method of teaching was the most impersonal thing I'd come across. <laughs> so I dropped out. I know, I know. I'm kind of, you know, there's a bit of an irony there. Irony yeah. there. So I dropped out and went traveling for a bit, sort of moved to Europe, kind of took a year off. And it was on that year that I went, well, what do I actually like? And then I thought back to what I liked most about uh, high school. And I liked being in the art room and I liked talking about concepts. Um, and I like, uh, essentially, I like talking. <laughs> you know, I like talking about ideas. And then, uh, you know, it was a friend of mine who was like, well, why don't you study design? You know, you kind of, you know, design is advertising, similar sort of thing. And then I went and studied graphic design at university in, in Adelaide. And it was about maybe the third year where I was, it was clear that I was starting to move towards the advertising side of, of design. I liked making films. I liked uh, making, you know, um, I liked making posters. I wasn't necessarily the graphic designer who was going to sit for eight hours and craft a beautiful logo or craft a beautiful uh, website. I was more conceptual. Yeah. Um, and, and then I went and studied ad school, which yeah. is called award school in Australia. It's like a, it's like a yeah. 10, 12 intensive course. Fantastic course. I saw that on your LinkedIn and I, I wanted to ask you about it because it's something that, I mean, I've heard of and I mean, anyone in Australia really who wants to get into advertising, that's sort of one of the gateways through, isn't it? It is the best gateway. And I, yeah. rec I recommend anyone who's trying to become an art director or a copywriter, go do the course. doesn't cost a lot. It's 12 weeks, three months. You get a new brief each week. And it's, it's not about whether you can design something perfectly in InDesign or Photoshop. It's about ideas. You know, it's black and white drawings on a page. And it's just, it's just conceptual. And it's, it's, and I, I went and did, so I did, you know, I did, a, I had a four year design degree. So I knew how to design things. I knew typography, negative space. I, I knew sort of the basics, all that stuff they teach you at university about design. And then I went and did award school. And then I really got into the conceptual stuff, you know, conceptual thinking. And then I came out of, so I had my design portfolio, had my advertising portfolio, and then I got a job pretty much straight away after award school in Adelaide. And, that, and that's kind of how I got into it. And without really fully knowing what advertising is, because, you know, I, I, I assumed I'd be sitting in a room writing amazing 30-second ads every day. <laughs> and that, that's, you know, that's 5% of uh, what we do. Yeah. Um, and then, and that, that's kind of my journey into advertising. And I've been working, I'm about 15 years in which to me is, you know, I'm still learning. I think, you know, if you ask anyone, it takes 20, 20 years to become a master, you know, a master of any craft. So I'm still learning. Um, but yeah, that's my journey. And take me back to award school. Like what's the feeling when you start to really crack a brief? I would compare it to like scoring a goal in football. Yeah. Like you get, you, you get your brief and you've got your problem to solve and then you – you know, you can sometimes solve it in 20 minutes or you think you've solved it in 20 minutes. Yeah. And then, or it can take you two days and it's this little thing in the back of your mind that you can't shake. <laughs> you know, what should we do for this? How do we solve this problem? And then when you finally get it and you've got something fantastic, you get an elation from it. It is, you know, it's like scoring a goal. Yeah. And then you bring your idea along, you know, to the creative director and he or she are like, yeah, you've got it, but this has been done five times before. And you're like, oh. <laughs> And that's the equivalent of missing a goal. So, yeah. um, it, and it's competitive. Like advertising is super competitive. You know, you've got all these agencies competing against each other. You've got uh, CMOs who are looking for the next big thing. So, um, 
it, it's tough. Like it is tough to be creative because you spend, you know, eight hours a day getting your ideas rejected and then you get this <laughs> one great idea through, which yeah. everyone loves. And then you're like, wow, it was all worth it. But it, it's, you know, it's hard. It's a fun industry, but it's hard. It's a hard graft as well. Yeah, completely. And so you got your start at an agency in Adelaide and then yeah. you moved abroad. Is that right? Yeah, I got a couple of years experience and then I moved to Dublin. I worked in Dublin for a couple of years for uh, a beautiful agency over there called Rothko. I, I you know, did um, campaigns for three for Aer Lingus, the national airline, uh, Ale, you know, the banks and stuff over there. And then after a couple of years in Dublin, went to London. Uh, lived in London for six and a half years. Work, worked for some big names in London like Ogilvy, RGA, uh, JWT. And then, um, and then I've been in Singapore the last four years uh, working for Digitas over here. So, yeah, it's been um, advertising has allowed me to work, move around the world a bit and to work in different parts of the world on many different types of brands and different industries. So it's beautiful like that as an industry that, you know, one day you're selling phones you're learning about phones and then the next day you're selling cars and you're, you're learning about, well, you know, the technology behind cars and stuff like that. So it's, it's good if you're inquisitive because you have to, you have to know a lot about things, about stuff um, yeah. and about why people, why people buy things, what motivates them and what doesn't motivate them. Yeah. And how do you think the industry has changed as, you know, over the years and how you've worked, like coming into, you know, the big agency in, in Ireland compared to, say, the agency you're at now, Digitas in Singapore? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some similarities, but take me through, like, I guess the differences. So I suppose when I started out, we kind of did two things. We made films and key visuals. So that was usually your output of an advertising campaign. You'd make a film that usually went on TV. And you'd make a key visual, which was which would exist as a print ad or as a piece of outdoor, like a bus shelter ad. You know, now we just, so many channels. I do a campaign and it lives across Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, outdoor, in print, cinema, rarely on TV. But you know, you know what I mean? And then there's, there's all the, you know, all the other digital channels as well that are slowly popping up, you know, TikTok, Google ads and so forth. So you have... Yeah. You know, you have, you have, you know, the, the basics is still the same. You need, you still need an idea or a concept that cuts through, but nowadays you need that concept to work across so many different channels. Um, and I think what's, what's changed a lot is I think the industry has gotten a lot smarter. When I started out, it was about gut, you know, you do a bit of customer research and you go, yeah. And from experience, we think this will work yeah. now. Everything we do nowadays is so digital that we've got all this data that tells us whether it works and why it works. So, and we know, I feel we know a lot more about the customer and the customer journey nowadays than we did maybe 15, 20 years ago, because we know we, you know, for instance, you're buying a car. We know that you kind of start thinking about buying a car maybe six months out from when you actually buy it. So we know that you first go online, you might visit a few websites, watch a few YouTube videos and that sort of stuff. And then we know what type of messaging can work at that point you know, big awareness type messaging. And then we know that as you kind of get three months on, you've maybe visited a couple of dealerships and then we know kind of what type of messaging works then as well. And I think, yeah, I think we've just become a, a much smarter industry. Um, and then you buy the car and then we have things like email and CRM and loyalty programs. So we keep you, you know, we keep you connected to the brand even after you've bought a car. 
you know, that's the other side of the advertising, which I think is so much more advanced nowadays, email, loyalty. And then there's, you know, I think we're becoming much more effective than what we were 15 years ago. We're not making classic, amazing advertising mm. uh, because, because I think it, there are so many channels now that's not just all about the 30-second TV ad. So we've, we've kind of lost that, I feel. Um, it still exists. There's still amazing campaigns, but I, I don't know. I, I don't, yeah, they're, they're, they're becoming rarer and rarer. I completely agree. I feel like the level of creativity in the traditional formats is changing. But then yeah. you still have, you know, you might have crazy things like the Tourism Australia ad where they pretended it was, you know, the next Crocodile Dundee and it was a, oh, almost a short form or trailer yeah. Uh, yeah. that goes viral. And it's not a 30-seconder, but it's a, it's a full-blown, you know, it feels like a movie. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful example of a really simple idea, which is PRable. That's a beautiful example of like, it's just a great idea, isn't it? It's simple. Let's, let's learn on we're, we're remaking Crocodile Dundee. Like to advertise to you know, Americans, mainly primarily Americans, because um, you know, who have this relationship with Australia from the eighties, and it's just it's such a beautiful, simple idea. It's fun, it's irreverent, it's unique, and it can work. That can work in any channel. That's an example of one of my favourite campaigns from the last few years. Oh really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love it. I, I remember when it first came out a few years ago, and it was the trailer. I'm like this is awesome. I'd actually watch this. And then like, it was kind of like when you started to work out that it was, it was a ad, you sort of felt like you were in on the joke as well. And yeah. like you were let in on it, but it was still, so then it was like, when you shared it with people, it almost like it was a bit of a prank to see if they'd buy into it as well. Like it was, yeah, it was really interesting. And then I think they released the, like the 30 seconder through the Super Bowl or something like that. I'll make sure I post a link to it in the notes. Cause it's a cracker if people haven't seen it. Yeah. And mate, like, what are some of your favorite sort of more traditional 30 seconders, big ads? Um, big ads. Well, there's the, uh, the Carlton Draft one from a few, few years ago, which is fantastic. <laughs> Literally big, the big ad. I still, if, if you're talking about classic 30-seconder ads, I, I still yeah. just like stuff like that. It's the 30-second fun piece of, you know, it's, it's a piece of comedy. Yeah. You know, stuff like Real Men of Genius from Bud Light. I think it was Bud from the States from, you know, and it was just all about really taking the piss out of men. Yeah. Um, to sell beer really really good stuff uh, most of my favorite ads are beer ads in, in, <laughs> have you worked in, on have you worked on beer a little bit of beer um a little bit of murphy's in uh when i worked in dublin i worked on murphy's stout a little bit of tiger beer here in singapore but no not, not a lot but yeah if, if you're asking me like you know stuff that i remember and stuff that connects i i like comedy yeah. in that sense but then I think if you, then there's a whole bunch of other sort of, uh, I suppose another side of advertising, which I really like as well, which is just clever, clever things. I'll give you an example. Um, like Whopper Detour was a campaign that Burger King or Hungry Jacks made in the States. I think it was last year or the year before. And what they asked people to do is they wanted people to download the Burger King app and they, to, to do this, they, they encouraged them to go to McDonald's to download the app at McDonald's and they'd get a free Whopper. So this idea of sending, sending people to your competitor to get a Whopper, you know, it's, it's just genius. It's just like, what? And yeah, and I could, I could just imagine being in the room pitching this and the client's like, what? You want to send people to McDonald's to get a Whopper, <laughs> download our app? I'm like, yeah, 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 it'll work because it's so fun and dumb that it will work. Yeah. And it worked. So uh, 1.5 million 
app downloads in the first couple of weeks that were number one on the app store because it was fun and a little bit stupid. And like they took that, they took that spirit of a funny ad and they put it into a funny experience. So that, I think that's, that's, that's one of my favorites uh, recently. Um, then cool. I like other stuff like, um, uh, there's a great campaign for tourism Sweden a few years ago where they ran a whole bunch of outdoor ads with a telephone sort of a telephone connected to the outdoor ad. And the, the call to action was like, visit Sweden or pick up the phone, talk to someone in Sweden right now. They'll, they'll, um, they'll tell you about the country. And they had, um, I think they had over 100 people set up to answer these phone calls from all these people <laughs> around the world. Yeah. So imagine you're in Times Square, you see this ad, and it says, call Sweden now. Someone will answer the phone. You pick it up, and then you've got, I don't know, a Bjorn on the phone somewhere in Stockholm. <laughs> like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's snowing at the moment. It's really cool. You should come visit. Can I answer any questions? That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful PRable idea. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe 500 people picked up the phone and actually spoke to someone in Sweden, but the PR they got out of it and its uniqueness, um, Bill's brand Sweden, you know, people are, Oh, Sweden, Sweden's clever, you know, and it is, it is, you know, and and it's a place I want to visit. So I, I love, you know, it's, What's, what's sort of, um, what's connecting all of these is just, they're clever, aren't they? They're clever and they're fun and they're simple. Um, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's super important simplicity and not yeah. overlooking it, uh, not overthinking it. Um, so yeah, there, there are a couple of real standouts for me from the, from the past couple of years. I mean, testament to those concepts and ideas, they're all things that we can describe, you know, right now and people can understand the big idea without having to show visual references or play an app, Correct. play a video or anything like that. So yeah. yeah, it's completely right. I love, I love what you say, fun and a little bit stupid. I think that's, um, that's a really good, uh, takeaway for coming up with something that, that stands out, you know, something that's clever. And I mean, how do you normally approach, a, a or like what's a typical approach to solve a creative problem? So say you get a brief for a new or a new creative brief, take me through that workflow. I think, um, the first thing is you go, well, what, you know, you have to define the problem clearly first. I think clients often come to agencies and go, we want to make a film or we want to do an ad campaign. And you're like, well, why do you want to do that? What's motivating you to do that? You know, and half the time what they don't need is an ad campaign, you know, a traditional ad campaign. Maybe they need, maybe they need a, an email campaign or maybe they need, to, to do some more, uh, maybe they need to do more research on their customer before they do an ad campaign. So my, you know, if you, under, if you fully understand and define the problem first, then I think you'll very quickly um, get to the solution. So I'm, I'm big at the strategic stage of going, why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? And then also looking at from the customer, what, what does the customer actually want here? Yeah, yeah, I know you want to sell 5,000 cars, but why does the customer want to? Why does the customer want to buy a Mercedes? You know, what is, motiv- what is motivating them to buy a Mercedes over an Audi or something? So it's this balancing act at the front of figuring out exactly what the client wants slash needs and then figuring out what the customer wants slash needs. And if you get that right, then you'll, it's quite easy. Advertising is fairly easy to kind of find a unique way of connecting both. Yeah, that's cool. That's really good. And what are some like rules or habits? Is there anything that you do that sort of gets you in a creative, creative mind? I do lots of coffee. Lots, lots of coffee. Of coffee. Okay. Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, there's, 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 uh, there's two types of people that work in advertising. Those that 
smoke lots and those that drink lots of coffee. I'm, I'm coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think just talking about things is the best way to solve a problem. You know, um, I think that, and that's why, that's why traditionally, you, you know, for the past 50 years, we've always had like an art director or a copywriter paired together, you know, as a creative team. And now we have creative teams which are built very differently. You might have a, a strategist and a copywriter or a data analyst and a tech guy and an art director, you know. So, you know, but really what, what it is, is is two or three people coming together to just talk it out and and to properly define the problem then solve the problem. So, yeah, through through conversation and through a little bit of collaboration, you usually go, yeah, this feels interesting, this feels fresh, this will actually be effective. Yeah. And what does a creative team at Digitas look like? So Digitas is a global advertising agency. We are, we're sort of, we're part of Publicis. Publicis is a, one of the big holding groups. So you've got Publicis, WPP, uh, Interpublic and so on. And then Digitas is a digital agency. You could probably call us that. And we're about, I think we're 90 to 100 people in Singapore. I think we've got about 40 offices around the world. I used to work in London and an opportunity came out uh, came up out here in Singapore and I suppose we're modern, you know, we, we're not just an ad agency. We do media. We have a tech, you know, we're, we have a tech department, we have data analysts, UX people. And we kind of, we work a little bit differently in that. Um, when a client comes to us, you know, we put data people on the project, we put tech people on it, we put a copywriter, we put a strategist. We don't just go, you know, we don't just go, here you go, creative team figure out the problem we look at it from multiple angles uh, and that's kind of a modern approach because i don't think you can just operate without data or media you know they're, they're so important nowadays you have a great idea you amplify it through media or if you don't you know if you want to understand the customer more or the product more you go to the data people and go well, what's what's happening how is human behavior shifting what are people doing online and then from that it all kind of comes together yeah we're 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 totes modern, I suppose you'd call us. <laughs> and I imagine that that would be well received by a lot of clients to feel like they've, you know, they're in good hands and in safe hands by having those different people um, as part of the, you know, the creative team. Yeah, it's kind of an example of how much more effective and scientific the industry has become. It's not just a couple of, you know, guys sitting in a room going, "Hey, it'd be cool to do this, wouldn't it?" Yeah, yeah, it is cool to do that, but why are we doing it? And what learnings, what about the stuff we did before? You know, the campaign we did for you six months ago, what worked there? You know, what part of the film was really effective or what, you know, maybe we did five different ads. Which ad was the most effective, which had the best messaging that cut through and had, you know, and drove the most people to the landing page or the, you know, or the client's website, you know, so we can, we can take all those learnings and, and just keep getting better each time. And, uh, mate, what's something you think is massively underutilized? In advertising, underutilized. Um, I don't know about underutilized, but um, it's more like we there's a real lack of time nowadays because mm. I think industry um, advertising agencies are shrinking, marketing budgets are shrinking, and ultimately, I think people are spending a little bit less on advertising than they did maybe 10, 15 years ago. So it's you've got to do more with less. And then we've got more channels nowadays. So it's a very fast industry, I find. You've less time to crack the brief. You've also got less time to maybe build a little trust with the client as well. Yeah. You know, like you've got these classic 
a lot of the very famous advertising campaigns have come out of long-term relationships. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. All the great stuff that Apple has done over the years, that's come out of an agency called TBWA. They've worked together for many, many years. They trust each other. They've built, you know, success after success. All the great Johnny Walker campaigns, that came out of BBH, you know, a world-renowned advertising agency and a, a lot of trust. So what – and. And usually there's a retainer model, you know, so that's why, you know, we'll work with you for the next four years on something. But nowadays everything's, a lot of it is becoming project-based. Yeah. So you have, you know, you might do a couple of projects, they work, they don't work, client moves on somewhere else. So yeah, it's an industry which is getting quicker and faster and yeah, it is getting a bit harder to, to do those classic famous advertising campaigns. Yeah. I mean, when it goes to that project base, it almost feels sometimes more transactional. It's hard to yeah. maybe pitch or, you know, come up with an idea that really is really, you know, takes guts to produce and, uh, and takes a leap of faith from the client to sort of get over the line. Because, yeah. you know, you, you think of some classic ads, even, you know, the cut and draft ad that we talked about before, like, you know, convincing a client that we're going to basically shoot from a, you know, probably a helicopter up above and have people running out onto a, um, you know, beautiful green sort of meadow or whatever and, and make up the logo and that sort of thing. Yeah, like it just, it takes a huge leap from the client. Yeah, I think what's super important is the client themselves. The clients dictate how good the advertising is going to be. And what I mean about that is if you have a very conservative person sitting in front of you on the other side of the table who's got to sign off the work, you're going to get quite conservative work. But if you have someone who has a sense of humor and is a bit of a risk taker, you will get that type of advertising. You will get that type of experience, whatever. So, um, you know, I don't want to shift the uh, responsibility or the blame clearly yeah. onto uh, the marketing people or the CMOs of the world. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's never the agency that recommends doing something boring. I can get, <laughs> I can kind of, that. <laughs> I can kind of give you the, the inside tip on that one. Yeah. You know, it's usually the, clients afraid to do something or they're concerned or you know and it's so it's yeah yeah it, i mean it's it would be a challenge and especially if if you've got clients you know not saying that you guys do but like if the client's in a in a position where they've got you know lots of other people on their end sort of breathing down their neck you know watching every decision that they're making and uh yeah. you know, they're being scrutinized and that sort of thing like it's you're right it's, it's so much harder for them to sort of sign off on anything that's that's sort of risky yeah so if you've got these people that are all sort of risk adverse and briefing on a transactional basis it's just like it's pretty hard to come up with anything that's absolutely brilliant and you know reminiscent of some of those campaigns we talked about before yeah I, like i'm not a fan of committees like committees mm. are um you know committees are sort of the death of creativity if you ask a you know if you ask a committee to design a horse you'll ultimately get a camel. So I think it's, yeah, I, I think that again, it's about that one person who's the, you know, the chief decision maker, he or she kind of having the right attitude, having the right ambition. And it's, you know, it's having that trust as well with the, with the agency. Um, and it's, you know, I, I love working on challenger brands yeah, because you usually, you know, you, you know, you're a smaller, you're a smaller brand trying to take on a bigger brand. And yep. you naturally have to stand out. You have to kind of cut through. So mm. you usually get people who, who are risk takers, you know. Yeah. And from that, you do get, you know, I enjoy the experience better. You usually get a more effective ad campaign out of it. So it's, I don't know, when you're a bit more established, you become conservative and you kind of sort of, 
you know, fall back into yourself. Yeah, you sort of go into like preservation mode as opposed to sort yeah. of like growth and, and sort of opportunity and, and risk-taking. Yeah, and it's like this time, you know, working in a recession is tough as well because, you know, people have less money. They're worried about every dollar they spend. So it's, it does become a lot tougher to make great advertising during a recession. Yeah, I've done some, you know, a lot of the, lot of the research points to the, the clients that do spend during a downturn are the ones who can sort of slingshot or rebound out of it better. Um, yeah. Are they some of the conversations that you guys are having with your clients? Yeah, like P&G is a big one. They always, they always up their spend during, yeah. they're not a client of mine, but, you know, they yeah. always up their spend during a recession. Generally speaking, the, the clients that I work with at the moment, um, they are, they're still spending, um, yeah. but they're holding off doing anything big. Mm. That kind of, you know, they're sort of just ticking along. They're holding off doing the big things until 2021. Yeah. Well, and I think that's probably, I, I imagine that's probably the way it is throughout most of the world at the moment. People are just kind of, well, let's see, we'll get through this and then um, we'll sort of, you know, see what it's like on the other side. Yeah. At least hopefully people stop doing the the generic sort of COVID ad, which is, you know, we're here for you. We understand, yeah. um, you know, in these uncertain times, in unprecedented in times. In these unprecedented, just- unprecedented times, in this new normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, if I see another COVID ad with a shitty piano track, yeah. Yeah. photos on a black and white background. Yeah. With some, uh, I'm yeah. There are a dime a dozen, and oh, I just switch off now. If someone shares yeah. that, like if I see that, and you know, at a time where it's never been more important to look after yourself, like this sort of crap that just yeah, it's just churned out. I don't know how it gets through. <laughs> yeah, uh, like if you don't have anything unique to say, just you know, don't say anything. Yeah, um, that's one of the unfortunate things about advertising. Like what we've done now is there's this notion of always being on, you know, mm. because of social media clients are like, I want to always be on. I want to always be doing something. And I'm like, yeah, but then you're just annoying. Yeah. And you're not offering anything insightful or, you know, and you, you know, so don't, you know, I'd rather you do two great things a year rather than 12 crap things. (laughs) (laughs) Why you bother? So, yeah. And I think a lot of that is COVID like, or, you know, brands are like, where's my COVID moment? Where's my COVID statement? And then you had, then you had like black lives matter as well. You know, uh, brands kind of just trying to, get involved in that and that's a bit of a minefield as well yeah you know these are all super important things but i'm not sure that deodorant ads or uh, fabric softener are really that important when we're talking about a pandemic or racism so kind yeah. of maybe maybe just stay out of them well that's right yeah like now they have to have a voice on it it's like well hang on like maybe just set up a, a system or you know if you if you care about it deeply enough like surely it can be something that you guys you know contribute to year on year but it doesn't have to be something that you just you know, reactively post about or create yeah. a campaign about yeah. in, you know, in a hurry. I mean, around that, like everyone does hate advertising, I guess, you know, it's an, you, like you said, you know, it can be annoying, but I mean, there must be ways that we can do it effectively that it, it isn't annoying. It actually adds value. How do you think we can do that? Yeah, I think like, you know, everyone does hate advertising and that's, you know, whenever I meet a client, it's kind of one of the first things I say to them. It's like, <laughs> you know, you can remember, no one cares. You're that annoying thing before they watch a YouTube video. Yeah. You're that, you know, and we've built models to avoid it. You know, Netflix, subscription, Spotify, it's all there to avoid advertising. So my method of, of making good advertising is, you know, keep it simple, keep it funny, keep it short. 
And if you're not a brand that can be funny, then be informative. You know, tell me something I don't know or tell me something about your brand or frame your brand in a way, you know, which is different, different from your competitors. You know, like if I, I'll give you an example, and this is an old one, but um, Purcell, dirt is good, or Omo, dirt is good. You know, that, that's a way of, you know, for, for, for 10 years, everyone was like, we, you know, we, we have the whitest clothes. We make your clothes the brightest, whatever. And then Omo came along and went, actually, dirt's good. Go outside, get dirty. Don't worry about, don't worry about your clothes because we clean them. They yeah. kind of just reframe the conversation. They still, we still know that the clothes are going to be clean. But they yeah. just kind of, kind of looked at things slightly differently. So really like, and it's tricky. It's hard to get to that. What is your unique, different statement? Yeah. But if you have it, then just keep running with it. You know, it's, it's all storytelling. Yeah. Do you find that like clients want to change and they want to mix things up and they want to, you know, come up with a new thing? And uh, do you feel sometimes they need to just stay on the same path and continue with, you know, if it was Omo, you know, dirt is good, that sort of thing. Like I sort of felt, I mean, and I've seen this, like someone will, you know, the business gets sick of it before the customers do or the, you know, consumers yeah, do. They totally. sort of, they, yeah, totally. you know, it's still new to them. Yep. Yeah. Marketing people and somewhat, some, I put advertising people on this. Yeah. Are the worst. They overthink things. Um, just cause they've been looking at it for two years. They think everyone's been looking at it for two years, but in the real world, a person just, sees a product on a supermarket shelf they, yeah. you know they might see an ad they might see an ad they might you know they might see a shelf wobbler or something they yeah. might hear a radio ad in the car and there's only they've maybe only seen for instance dirt is good five times in that yeah. two years yeah but the CMO's like you know we need to change this what's our new dirt is good and it becomes <laughs> like come on um no one you know no one cares so yeah just keep it simple and you know and i think when you do have a a statement or a positioning as strong as dirt is good or um, like Snickers, you're not yourself when you're hungry is another yeah. great one. It's just run with it. Just, yeah. you know, keep going with it because it's what you stand for. It's, and it's, you know, I think what, those two statements are also, they really talk about the benefit of the product as well. Mm. So you've got, you've got a clear benefit and you've got a unique statement. Just do it a million times, try and yeah. do it differently each time. Yeah. Um, how do you explain the value of what you do to clients or potential clients? Um, I think we have to prove it nowadays. Yeah. You know, you've got to, and that is the project by project model. You know, you do a couple of projects, client goes, wow, you know what you're doing. You're effective. And then they, <laughs> you know, genuinely, and then they give you bigger projects and you yeah. just have to prove it through effectiveness. Um, yeah. Got to be, you know, you got to be clear with the KPIs you set and you got to go, look, this will only do this. We're doing in this campaign, it's purely about awareness and that's, that's what you'll get from it. Or we're doing this type of campaign and it's about direct response. Mm. And you need, you need to be honest, you know, it's advertising is one part of a business. It's a small part. You know, there's all the other stuff. You, you know, if you're a bank and you have a terrible service at a branch or you've got a terrible online platform, advertising is not going to help you. Yeah. You know, it's, there's absolutely no point, you know, spending millions on ads. If every time someone opens your app, they get frustrated because the user experience is terrible. So it's, we're only one part of the story. And how do you go about that in getting that consistency across the different touch points? So the experience, you know, 
I have this thing that I talk about. It's like it's better to underpromise and overdeliver than overpromise and underdeliver. Because then the person you know sees maybe sees your website, it looks amazing, or sees your product, it looks amazing, and then gets the real thing, and it's absolute you know shit house. And they're, and they're let down. They feel like they've been catfished. How do you guys work with clients if if you do you know think that maybe they're stretching in some of the claims that they're making? Yeah, I think you know I'm a big fan of trying to always over deliver, but try and be somewhat conservative with your KPIs. So that when the client goes, Oh, you, you said we'd get 10%, we got 15. You're like, great. We over delivered. Um, yeah. it's, it's tricky because I, I think in terms of like ensuring success at every, you know, customer touch point, that's hard to do for an advertising agency because they're only, they're only really one part of the story. Yeah. But you would hope that your brand message is just as impactful, you know, as the customer experience on your website. You know, you, you hope that whoever's doing that, if, you know, if the advertising agency is just doing the ads and the web agency is just doing the website, you hope that the web agency is just as passionate, yeah, just as professional as you are, yeah. And Keith, going back over the years, tell me about a campaign that you've worked on, you know, that's stuck out as, as being just, you know, an awesome, awesome brief, awesome challenge, and then, you know, the actual making of that ad. Some good ones I've, I've worked on. Like I worked on, I worked on a major campaign for Nokia in London a few years ago. It was maybe 2013. It was it was the, probably the biggest global campaign I've ever worked on. It was called the Amazing Every Day, but it was just it was it was an amazing. I think we had about 70 or 80 creatives working on it. It was millions and millions of dollars spent on it, but it was a, a really it was probably the last big global campaign I've ever worked on. And one of the things we did at the time was we crowdsourced all of the photography from the public. And this is before Instagram. Yeah. Before you could kind of, you know, and this, and we were, we were reaching, we were on photography websites, reaching out to people going, we want to use your photo. Can we pay you some money for it? And it was just this, the process was just fantastic. It was just kind of a bit pirate like, and then we took all <laughs> these photos. It was, it was, we were kind of, cause, cause you know, this is really before, yeah, before we had Instagram, we went, we want that photo, just send them a message. We didn't have anything like that. Yeah. And it was kind of a little bit, a little bit pirate-like and it was just massive. It was massively, and it was at this time where Nokia was trying to reinvent themselves. Um, they were struggling, you know, Apple, Apple had come along and stolen all their thunder and it was just a really enjoyable experience. Now it's one of my favorite campaigns I've worked on. Um, and then I've, I've worked on other things like I've, I've shot ads in Brazil where I've, you know, I've closed down a part of, Impanema Beach, and then we we do a we do a two day shoot, and then we all we, we all go out on a boat and have a big rap party, and you know the, the ad itself isn't great, but the experience around shooting <laughs> is. You know, I'll be honest with you. Um, you, know, you, get, you, get, you know, you get flown to Brazil, and it's fantastic, and you've got this lifelong memory out of it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, you do little things like little things which turn into big things. Like we, like, yeah, last year we. HSBC Bank, they sponsor the Rugby Sevens here in Singapore. And they asked us to they asked us to kind of just do something here for their VIPs. So they have they have this suite. It's called the Hexagon Suite. And they invite all the special guests along to watch the rugby. And they asked us, and it was a really open brief. They're like, just do something in the welcoming area. And I was like, okay, well, it's a rugby event. What can we do? We, we should do something with rugby. And we ended up building this. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know, I know, open brief. Brilliant. <laughs> and um, we ended up building this sort of augmented reality kicking game. 
and we got, uh, you know, so we got Brian O'Driscoll, famous Irish rugby player. So we got him to yeah. digitally host. So imagine you kind of, you get to this event and you go into the reception of this event, and, you know, and then we, we, we turned the reception into like a rugby pitch. We put grass down, we put rugby hoarding up and then Brian's on this big screen this, and he kind of wel- welcomes you to the event. And he goes, hello, welcome to the Rugby Sevens. Uh, I want to challenge you to a kicking game. And he asks you to sort of take three kicks on goal. And there's not, there's not a real ball. You know, it's augmented reality. We've got a sensor, a motion sensor, and people are sort of kicking this imaginary ball. But then the ball flies on the screen and goes through the goal. And it was just really, really simple um, digital activation that we turned around in like six to eight weeks. And it was just like everyone did it. You know, all these VIP guests at, at the um, at the event just did it because it was a bit of a laugh. It was like, yeah. you know, two minutes. No, no one's too cool to kick an imaginary football. Yeah. They just do it. Yeah, yeah imaginary, it's awesome. You've got three-year-olds doing it. You've got dads being laughed at by their sons doing yeah. it. You've got, you know, very highly paid people from the bank doing <laughs> it, you know. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was just fun. It was a, 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 an open brief um, where the client was like, just pitch us some ideas, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And you know, and those sort of things are great because there's not really there's not really any set KPIs. We were like, okay, if we get thirty percent doing it, great. One in three people might do this, but we got a lot more than that. Um, they're fun little experience, and the reason why I like those things is because I learn I learn by doing mm-hmm. by doing those sorts of things with technology. I've shot a load of films, I've made a lot of ads, all that sort of stuff. But as our industry changes, we we've got all these new tools to work with whether it's voice or um, AR or VR. And it's cool that we, yeah, uh, yeah, our toolkit's got a lot bigger. And, yeah, um, yeah you, you learn. Like, I, I'd, never, I'd never really built – I'd built similar stuff before, but not, not exactly like this. Um, so it's a really cool experience. And tell me, did you get to meet Brian O'Driscoll or at least talk to him on a, did, yeah, on a I did. conference call? I met God or Bod, as he is called. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, as, we as, a, as an Irish bloke, it must have been um, – because are you originally from Ireland? Yeah, originally from Dublin. So um, Yeah, that must yeah, have been was, pretty, uh, pretty big. Oh, yeah, I was loving it. We, we, um, we flew up to Hong Kong um, and he was, he was at the Hong Kong Sevens like the week before, the Singapore Sevens. So we went up there and we, we shot him on green screen giving all these coaching tips and these oh, coaching cool. tips were then into this sort of kicking game that we did. So yeah, it was a, I've, I think I've met him a couple of times now, but um, Mate, I, met him in Dublin, I met him in Dublin a few years ago um, for yeah. an AIB, an AIB campaign. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Like that they are, you know, they are the perks of advertising that you get to be creative. You get to maybe fly to different parts of the world and then you get to meet, occasionally you get to meet famous people. So it makes all the, uh, it makes all the banner ads, <laughs> and all the all the EDM mock-ups and, yeah. and all the uh, and rewriting the headline five million times it makes it yeah. all worth it in the end um, yeah, because cool. it is you know, it, it is a fun industry when all is yeah. said and done it's it, it is a you know it is a great way to make a living um, as long as you as long as you, you you've got those really nice people around you and you're all you're all kind of rowing in the same direction it is it can be you know it's a night yeah it's a good way to make a living yeah that's cool and Matt take me back. It's going off track a bit, but what was the feeling like when you first, when you saw your first ad sort of in market, in print or TV or whatever? Like what was, do you remember what it was and, and, and how did it feel to actually see it out there? Yeah, I do. I remember like, um, I remember my first mistake oh, and I remember, and which I'll, talk, I'll tell you about that. And I do yeah. remember like, I think like a billboard, I did a billboard or something for, um, 
for, for a university in Adelaide. I remember walking by, I going, I did that. Hey, <laughs> I remember feeling like, I, know, I, I don't know, my, one of my mates was probably with me at the time. And I go, I did that. And he's like, I don't care, man. I don't care. Whatever, that's not. <laughs> you know, that sort of feeling of, you know, everyone hates advertising, even the stuff yeah, you're yeah, doing. Yeah. Uh, and so I do remember that. I think it was just an ad for the University of South Australia or something. And then I do remember the first mistake I ever made. Uh, we did a, we did some posters and I didn't, I didn't check the copy, the terms and conditions on these posters. And we, we printed like 50,000 of them. Oh no. And I remember being, I remember being sat down, like the credit director was like, did you proofread the copy? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. And, um, you know, the owner of the owner of the agency was like, this is going to cost us 10 grand. Mm. Uh, we didn't reprint them. We, we ended up getting stickers and then, um, you know, the, whoever printed them paid someone to stick all the stickers on. But I, you know, so I remember the first high and I remember the first low and that's, yeah, it's part of learning. Yeah. That feeling of, uh, oh shit, we've, it's gone to print. Yeah. We, we had that. We did a, what do we do? We did like a corporate annual report and, uh, there's some copy paste errors with, uh, one of the designs <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's gut wrenching. It's the worst feeling that was, um, yeah. that's going back sort of, Eight years ago now at a previous agency um but uh but yeah of course, of course, yes, of course. Of course yeah um but yeah again and, and actually seeing your ads in, in in market i mean that's pretty cool pretty cool feeling no it's just that it's advertising can have those moral moments mm. where um you know i remember moving to london and you start talking to recruiters or talent people and they're like oh well you work on cigarettes and i'm like no not really I don't, you know, it's, it's this category I'm not comfortable with. Mm. And then they're like, well, you work at McDonald's. I was like, yeah, I work at McDonald's. And then you kind of sit and think about it. And you're like, well, mm, big tobacco, childhood obesity. Wh- where do I, where's my sort of, where's my moral ground here? And um, I remember I had a copywriter. I worked with for a couple of years in London and he just wouldn't work at McDonald's. So whenever we had a, we were freelancing around town. So whenever we had a, oh, do you want to go work at this agency? They've got McDonald's. We were like, no, we can't. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. And what about sports betting? I've worked on a little bit of sports betting. Huge here. Massive, massive yeah, creative uh, campaigns here. It's yeah, like uh, probably one of the few, one of the few industries that's really charging off. And I mean, I don't know how they were affected by COVID. Probably quite badly because most sports stopped. But um, but yeah, in terms of one of the you know main advertisers on our screens, it would be it'd be sports betting companies. I don't know. I think if you look at what's happening in the UK, they're considering kind of banning it you know no football teams can be sponsored by a by a betting company and stuff like that i, I don't know wow. i'm not sure i stand i'm not sure i stand in it because i've never you know i don't have a gambling problem i'm not i'm not a big gambler so i don't know it doesn't really affect me personally but i, mm. I do know a few people who have had gambling issues so it's yeah i, I don't know how much how much responsibility do we give to humans then do, do we you know it's an interesting one. I don't think sport here would be would be able to survive if they weren't allowed to advertise sports betting. I think. Um, well, that's the thing, though, and, yeah. and that's like you know. It's, I think it's the same in in, in, a, in a lot of markets: beer sponsorship, yeah. uh, fast food sponsorship, betting sponsorship. It pays for a lot of the things, or helps to pay for a lot of the things we like. Sport mm. being one of them, or yeah. um, you know, you know, you look at. I used to work for BP. Oh, BP was one of my uh, accounts at when I was at Ogilvy briefly and the BP are a massive, you know, British petroleum oil, evil, massive corporation, whatever. No, maybe cut this one out. But, um, <laughs> That's all right. they, uh, 
they're, they're a massive sponsor of the arts in the UK. You mm. know, they pay, they sponsor the theatres, they pay for shows, they're the prime, you know, and it's like, well, what's the, what's the balancing act that, yeah. that we play here? Um, it, it's not, it's not black and white. It's not like a binary choice. It's, mm. you know, yeah. Going back to the beer advertising, because, I mean, with alcohol, there's lots of limitations on how you're allowed to, I mean, I know in Australia, I don't know if it differs, um, you know, in Singapore or in, um, in the UK, but I remember yeah. reading like, you're not allowed to advertise like drink this beer and you become more attractive or drink this beer and you'll, um, yep. you know, you'll be, you'll be more successful, that sort of thing. So what are the yeah. rules? Do you remember the rules around that or? Yeah, I think globally the rules are fairly similar now. Um, you know, you can't show a person by themselves drinking because that's an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it has to be a group of people. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this thing starting to, you know, you, you obviously can't show too good of a time because that, <laughs> you know, that, that is false advertising. Yeah. You know, and there's, you know, um, there, are, there are these rules that are pretty much the same all over the world. Um, but it's... I don't know, beer advertising, you can do it in so many different ways. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be four people in a bar cheersing. Um, you know, there's a, there's a good, there's a very funny beer ad that came out a few weeks ago by Carlton Draft of um, the guy sitting by the piano. He wrote a song about COVID. Um, definitely put it on the link to this podcast. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's just, a, it's like a two minute video and he's just, he's just playing. He's, he, the Carlton Draft can just sits on the top of his piano. It's shot at his house, yeah. simple sort of social piece of social content. It's just in, in, incredibly funny, a uh, little song, little jingle about COVID and, and how it, oh, it's called an ode to the pub. And it's just him singing about how he can't wait to go back to the pub. That's it's great. Cool. You, know, you know, and it's clever and it's funny and it's, you know, and it is one person sitting by themselves. So, hmm, how do they get, how do they get away with that? I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, that, that to me is good because it's down to earth. Yeah. And it feels feels authentic. It feels real. Um, I think that's what like I think consumers these days are so savvy and have like you know I've, I've heard it before, but like you know millennials or Gen Z just have this ultimate sort of bullshit uh, filter where we you know, as soon as like a big glossy um, or as soon as they see like a big glossy shiny production, it's almost like you switch off. So you have to find these new creative ways to sort of product place or create content or create entertainment uh, in a in a branded yeah. way. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I think one of the well, it's a it's a it's an issue and it's a benefit. Like having less money now in the industry to make ads has means that some of the polish has been taken off as well. Because mm. I'm how I execute nowadays is very different to how I used to execute 15 years ago. You know, it's you know it's not these big fancy cameras. It's handheld. It's um you know we're not we're not you know we're not spending five days grading the film, making it the best color. It's it's a piece of down to earth social content that could have been shot by one of your mates. And I, I think that's how you kind of should be executing some stuff, not all stuff, because mm. yeah, it is more authentic. It is, it is becomes, Oh, you know, it doesn't feel like a bloody ad, which yeah. people don't like. Keith, how do you switch off from work? Uh, um, traveling is kind of, well, not this year, obviously. Um, <laughs> genuinely, how do you normally switch speaking, off from work? Yeah. Yeah. Traveling, uh, is, is the big, is the big thing. Um, I've spent, uh, you know, I've been lucky that I've spent, you know, 15 years kind of, well, yeah, 15 years kind of traveling around the world. So living in Dublin, living in London, living in Singapore. So when I'm kind of not working on an ad campaign, I'm planning, I'm planning like my next holiday. Yeah. And that's, um, that's kind of a big thing for me. I'm like a professional backpacker. I'd call myself, (laughs) um, 
professional, you know. Um, <laughs> and then, like, I think like most people, you know, I just I, re- I read a lot. I read, I read, you know, I read things like I love biographies or autobiographies and stuff like that. You know, real stories about people's lives. That would be my go-to sort of book. What um, are some of those ones that stand out? What am I reading? Well, I'm reading at the moment uh, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm, re- I'm, yep. I'm reading his um, his autobiography or biography. That's a good one. Um, you know, that's a classic one. Um, what else? When I'm not reading biographies, I, I kind of like uh, – I'm reading a lot at the moment about Singapore yeah, cool. and the history of uh, just little little stories of people who've moved here, you know, uh, you know, whether from China and they, you know, from a, from a poor background and they've built up successful businesses and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, you know, when I was living in the UK, I read a lot about the UK and so forth. So yeah, reading and traveling are kind of my go-tos. Yeah. And are there any great advertising books or creative uh, books on creativity that, uh, that you'd like to sort of recommend or refer to? Yeah, I would get uh, anything that, um, Hegarty from BB, BBH has written. They're fantastic yeah. books because he's a genius. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I, I like getting, well, for those, I like getting the award annuals, mm-hmm. you know, the award annual, which kind of, um, they kind of summarize the best of the best for that year. I collect those because I think they're a great source of inspiration. You know, you, you get stuck on a brief and then you pull out an award annual from 2004 and it's, you know, oh, it's the same product you're working on. And it's kind of the same brief and you kind of go, oh, so that's how they solved it. And then you go, okay, can we do something similar, but for 2020? And then you go, okay, we can, but we just use a different channel or we use it. Yeah. We add a bit sort of technology story to it or, or we can be a bit clever with media. So I love, I love having those award annuals to refer to. They're kind of like the, the advertising Bible. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, in closing, thanks for being so generous with your time, but uh, who's someone in the creative industries that you know that we should speak to? Um, in the, who should you speak to? You should speak to Simon Brock from Digitas Sydney. Yep. He's amazing. He's a very smart man. Uh, yeah, you should cool. definitely talk to him. Um, who else should you speak to? Oh, there's just, you know, that one of my old CCOs, Chris Clark, um, who's based in the UK. He's a genius. Um, he's, he's currently trying to reinvent the internet and he's just absolutely amazing. One of the wow. smartest men on the planet. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, those sort of people are, are, are very entertaining and very smart and they'll, they'll certainly give you a much better podcast than this one. I guarantee that. <laughs> no, man, it's been great fun. Um, and what's your favorite quote or the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice? Um, ah, the best piece of advice. I know, like... Well, when it comes to advertising, I, I kind of say the same thing over and over. Just, just keep it simple. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I suppose you can apply that to life itself. Mm. You know, we, you know, it's the simple things that often make us the happiest. So that, that, that to me is kind of a philosophy. You don't need much to be happy. Um, the best where piece you, of advice. Sorry, where are you the happiest? Honestly, where am I the happiest? When I'm on a beach somewhere you know, laying on a bit, laying on a bed with a cocktail next to me. And I've, you know, I've got my kids sort of just, my kids sort of building a sandcastle right next to me. That, that is probably, probably the happiest, but I, you know, when it comes to work, um, I'm the most happiest when I'm in that production phase, when you're just about to, when you're producing something, when you're on set, 
when you're about to see something live because I think you know you've you've done all the hard work and it's starting to the 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 theory is starting to become practice so that's when I'm the most happiest um yeah yeah that's cool so like the idea is just crystal like it's it's coming to life um but it's not in the market yet for yeah, and, it, and it's like, again, like you've got this simple thing that you've jotted down on a piece of paper. Well, what if we did this, you know, with a reference visual and a, just a, a simple paragraph and that's been transformed into a funny piece of film or, a, a, you know, a beautiful design for a website or an event, you know, that, you, that you've concepted. Um, and you're like, wow. And you kind of go, wow, it's, it's, it's been a lot of late nights and weekends, but it's all been worth it. And, um, yeah it kind of shows the power of just a simple idea, simple thought. Um, cause that, 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 I think that's super important that we, you know, little ideas can, can change things. Um, mm. little simple ideas as well. You know, half, half of what I do is just convincing clients to just, you know, not, not say a thousand things, just yeah. say that one thing really well, that that's your unique thing. Just, yeah. just, just stay there. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Yeah. So I think that, that is, um, super you know, it's kind of my job as a creative director to yeah. direct the creative the right way and get rid of all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. You know, keep yeah. it simple. Yeah, that's cool. And if you could have a billboard and put anything on it, what would it say or what would it be? Am I advertising me or am I, what am I, what's the, what's the could, brief? What's the, <laughs> good one. Uh, your, your, your rules for life, would it be, would it be keep it simple or what would you put up there? Yeah, advertising, advertising your your methodology, your ideas, your thinking. It's a pretty shit brief. Well, yeah, if I, I would say less is more. <laughs> no? So that would be, and that would probably be just those three words yeah. on the billboard. Yeah. Leave it open to interpretation. Less is more. Yeah, cool. And I'd kind of let people go, oh, that's profound, isn't it? What does it mean? <laughs> What's advertising? Yeah. Um, yeah. Keith, thanks so much for taking the time. Before I, before I let you go, I'd love to know, where do you keep your ideas? Do you write them down? Do you put them in a notebook? Do you put them on a, in your phone? What do you do? So when I started out, it was all pads and paper. So you'd get a, a pad, a blank pad, and you'd scribble stuff down, and they'd all be sort of stuck in a drawer somewhere. Now I just have folders on my desktop of just stuff. And... I'm a, I'm a big collector. So I have, I have, you know, I have, you know, Oh, 2010, I worked on that brief for that shampoo brand. 2020, I've got a similar brief. I'll go back to that folder and see what was in there. That's cool. And it's usually crap. It's usually crap. You're like, Oh God, <laughs> there's a reason why we never made this because it's a bit <laughs> crap. But occasionally you're like, wow, this is cool. This is interesting. So yeah, I just keep everything digitally. Yeah. I save everything and I kind of, I categorize it as well. And then, um, that's work stuff. And then, I have, you know, I just have notes on my phone for, mm. for anything else that's odd that pops up, yeah. you know, oh, here's a great business idea, write it down, it's in my phone. So um, yeah, I've, got, I've got a very long list of creative ideas on my phone and hopefully one of them will manifest into something amazing one day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, mate, when it does, we'll, uh, we'll get you back on and you can tell us all about it. Love to, absolutely love to. And so and finally, where can people learn more about you? Well, they go to my website, you know, keithburn.co.uk. If they want to, you know, see some of the advertising I've done, it's advertising. You probably will skip it. Um, (laughs) Jokes, jokes. Uh, I I write every now and then. I I write articles, you know, occasionally. Wonderful people like Mumbrella occasionally um, and Campaign in Australia. They occasionally uh, publish some of my nonsense. But, yeah, um, 
or if one, you know, if, if someone has, you know, has a project that I'd love me to work on, just email me. You know, I'm always up for doing interesting creative projects which don't necessarily have to be advertising. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, mate, thanks for taking the time. I've had heaps of fun. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I could chat for hours. <laughs> mate, that's awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of DSR Branding Presents. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit dsrb.com.au slash podcast. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you're listening on an Apple podcast, can I ask you a quick favor, please? I'd love a five-star review. It not only makes me feel special, but it helps other people like you find this podcast. We always appreciate good feedback. So if you enjoyed it, please share it with your network and tag me on LinkedIn or Instagram or send me an email. DSR Branding exists to inspire people to love what their work represents. I hope this episode has inspired you to think differently.